Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mott. Welcome in to College Soccer Nation. My name is Matt Mott, one of the co-hosts of the show. We have a fantastic show set up for you tonight here on a, a Monday, another Monday morning on December the 7th. Chris uh, Petroselli is our other co-host. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. I'm uh, excited for a big show here. Alan Kirkup coming on and the big deal, and it should be uh, should be exciting. Yeah, um, Alan Kirkup, the associate head coach of Florida. We're excited to get him on. I think his insight to his career path and and you know his knowledge of the game is really really high level. And certainly excited to to chat with him. And he's been a good friend for a long long time. Does such a great job coaching. So. Said about him. Listen, our uh, I'm going to tease our. They call it teasing, I guess, Chris. I learned this on the Mike and Mike show. Our Power Five. So if you want to take on a little later, uh, unfortunately for all of us soccer people, Maradona passed away uh, last week, and and in his honor, our Power Five is the uh, the top five soccer players, our own personal top five soccer players, not named Maradona, Pele, Messi, or Ronaldo. So I think we all would have those guys in the top group. We took those guys out, and then we put together our list, which should be fun to talk about. But certainly a sad day for, for soccer losing uh, losing Maradona. Yeah, I mean, what a what a fantastic player he was. So much fun to watch, and you know, he was one of those that uh, wasn't real big, right? Didn't necessarily look the most athletic or anything like that. But boy, that guy was really really talented. Yeah, you know, there's that clip out there, that YouTube clip of him warming up. It's like yeah. the greatest warm-up YouTube clip I've ever, you know, yeah. it's unbelievable. He's juggling and passing. His his ability was just unbelievable. But Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's funny, funny, Matt, like, uh, so after he died, my, my mom says to me, uh, you know, I saw that Maradona died. She goes, you know, I mean, I saw him, like, he's a kind of a big, heavy guy. Like, how could he be so good? <laughs> and you know what I said, Matt? What do you think I said? Uh... I don't know. I don't have. He didn't always look like that. Uh, yeah, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, Chris, what'd you do this weekend? Uh, you know what I did? I watched a lot of uh, sports. Uh, mm. EPL, right? Yeah. Good, uh, good result for Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, good re- watched, result uh, for Manchester some of the Women's United. League from England, which was really uh-huh. uh, enjoyable to watch. Um, the quality of play is really good, and uh, so I watched some of those games and and some NFL games. Obviously, we have some. Uh, you know, some uh, friends that are that are in the league that, you know, were interested in watching the games and, and the Browns and the Saints and uh, and things like that. So uh, it was a, just a, a lot of watching TV, uh, honestly. Yeah, How so about you? Friend, so friends in the league, that's what friends we're in the league. That's, friends in okay. the league. Maybe later another time we'll call it something different. That's it, yeah, <laughs> we, we, can, we can talk about that some other <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what I did, Chris? Uh, first of all, I know we're going to get into some of the recruiting I did spend some time watching ECNL games, uh, but I also took care of the annual exterior illumination of the Mott House. Yes. Yes. So I uh, I take great pride in Christmas lights. It's something very, very near and dear to me. Um, so, you know, my neighbors all uh, put up very nice looking lights. They, you know, hire people to, to put stuff on their house and they, you know, have the nice ones and, 
and it all looks very nice. And then there's the Mott House. And the Mott House, the key to the Mott House is how many colors and how much blinking can I get going on? <laughs> I mean, the more blinking and the more colors is what I want. So I added up, we're somewhere in the eight to, I would say six to 8,000 lights out there in front of my house. Nice. And my wife, bless her heart. She just lets me go with it. She's yeah. thank God, but she just, so I have, I built a Christmas tree in the middle that is full of lights. It's got about know, 3000 lights on it. That's a homemade Christmas tree with a PVC pipe and, Oh, it's something. Exterior it's illumination. Something. Just just love it. Uh, anybody wants to see it, email me, mmott.omis.edu. I'll send you uh, I'll send you a picture. Maybe we'll post one on the uh, website. We could do that. Yeah, well, I get, that's that's a good idea. I got two yeah. two things about that, Matt. One, sure. you really ought to credit the people who did all the work, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you're taking credit for all this, and you just stood there and said, hey, do this, do this, do this, right? Every good job needs a foreman, Chris. Every good job needs a foreman. No, my boy BB came over and helped, Richard BB, our, our volunteer coach here. Uh, my son, Dean, who's slack as he can be but he helped a little bit and good then my youngest son will who's 14 he gets into it. him and his buddy atticus came in and helped they actually did a very good job but um no we we got it we got stuff coming from you know two-story windows we got we got all over the place so it's correct it's a, it's a, it's a exterior illumination I, ca- I consider myself an expert after all these years well that was uh, that was one number two i saw yeah. the picture really uh, impressive the christmas tree you built I didn't know you had it in you. That was really yeah, good. High level. Uh, really good. Level, yeah. But that tree out front, I mean, it's like the Charlie Brown deal. Like, uh, it was, that was bad. Like, that was Well, bad. Let, let's keep it real, okay? Again, I, I'm the foreman. I do do a lot of the hands-on, but I let Beebs and Dean do the tree. And I agree. I didn't know what it looked like when we turned it on. I was disgusted. So, again, <laughs> Will and I had to go and fix it. I'll oh, you fixed it. We fixed it. So, we we're going to have a new picture where the tree's fixed. That's right. We got about okay, fifteen hundred okay. more lights to the tree. It looks good. Yeah. So we're good. we're ready to roll. We're rolling into my house. Good. Um, good. All right. So we're talking recruiting. We're talking recruiting. You, we we had uh, ECNL, um, mm-hmm. the South Carolina event, and a lot of video uh, video recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, listen. I, you got to give ECNL credit for for setting it up. I mean, it's not the best video. It's not what we're used to with the college game, but it does give you a look at some of the players and how they're doing and how they're playing. So I found it, you know, pretty valuable. Our whole staff was watching different games and no, we weren't sitting on the sideline and, and there's certainly some limitations, but uh, it's very nice of them to do it. And I'm glad we are because we were able to get some work done this weekend and seeing some kids that we haven't quite honestly haven't seen since, uh, since March or, or even, even earlier. So um, it was, it was helpful. Yeah, and and I, and I will say I, I um, was less than positive about the last tournament and, and the quality of the video. This was much better. This was much better. So yeah. there were some adjustments made, and and it was much better. But yeah, give me a little. Uh, why don't you do this for you know for any of the maybe um, young players that are that are listening? Um, how do they go about getting noticed? What do they have to do? Yeah, I think in normal times, Chris, it's it's you know it's you know going to camps and emailing coaches and letting them know they're interested and giving the resumes and doing all those kind of things. I think you know making it personal is really important. The personal emails or or phone calls, those kind of things. I think coaches, you know, reach out to club coaches and find out who's interested and or or what they have or what they're looking for. Or those relationships with club coaches are really important. But I think you have to you have to spend some time. 
right now, now it's very difficult. Now a lot of it's video. And I mean, I don't know many coaches are making a ton of decisions off of video unless it's somebody you have, you know, good connections with club coaches and those kind of things. But I also think re- recruits at this point need to kind of hold tight and, and, you know, take their time and know that we'll get, we'll get out there at some point we have to and, and be able to see them. So I know signing day was not too long ago, but at this point it's about getting on a coach's radar, finding out what they need. And um, you know, that, what, what do you think? It's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard. Um, it's, it's by video right now, right? It's, it's all by video right now. And, and we are as coaches probably, you know, going to be cautious and, and not make as many decisions on video. And, and it's hard, I think, because players don't get to visit campus too, you know, um, you know, unless it's maybe local or you fly in and, and you go, but the coaches can't be with you. So um, I, I think it's really difficult. I think that, you know, I'd uh, encourage players to continue to send video, to continue to stay in touch, to, you know, the more you uh, knock on the door, eventually somebody's going to open it. So I'd say, you know, uh, just uh, stay after it, you know, continue to stay after it and, and things will work out eventually. Stay diligent. Is that the word you're looking for? Diligent nice would word. work. That would nice work. Word. That would work. Yeah. Strong yeah. word. Strong word. Yeah. Okay. We ready to move on? Sure. Okay, Chris, I think it's that time now where we bring in uh, you know, our, our good buddy, Brian, and uh, spend uh, too many minutes with uh, Brian Lee. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How about you guys? I think we're good, Brian. Um, Let's be clear, Chris. To the the... Tennis tournament? Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah, I made a little last minute uh, jump out to see my daughter play tennis. So... How'd it go? First place? She lost in the final, so it went good. Oh, it's a decent oh. level tournament, so it, it was uh, a positive. You know, all when, of us when she's playing coaches. tennis, like, mm-hmm. are you stressed? Are you screaming? Like, are you, are you motivating? <laughs> are you coaching? Like, what are you doing? Well, uh, it's tennis, so it's very gentlemanly on the sidelines. So I just watch, and I'm quiet. But, you know, you're watching your kid hit every ball, so it's – a little different you can't run your way out of mistakes yeah if you shank yeah. one you shanked one there's no hustling back to fix it and so, then after after it's over like is your ripper pretty good for losing in the final or <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my wife's job no uh no we try and keep it keep it positive <laughs> it's so, not so, it's not always easy but we try and keep it positive yeah just so for the listeners know brian's in the airport flying home so we appreciate him taking some time to be with us so if you hear some background noise that is but listen Brian um you know my son has picked up tennis Chris and and he is 14 and and uh he loves tennis and he's asked me numerous times can you get Brian's daughter to come here to Oxford to play doubles with him because he knows how good Brian's daughter (laughs) is and he wants to stack his team which is a a smart smart move but uh no I'm with you Brian My, my wife uh she whispers like frustration to me. And I'm like, you know, he can't hear you. And I understand I'm watching the same thing you're watching. So anyway, uh, but tennis, no, it's very gentlemanly. That's a good way to put it. All right, let's get to it. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. All right, Brian, let's, uh, let's talk a a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on in the uh, NCAA soccer world. Uh, We got some news here recently about the NWSL draft. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. You know, 
it's one of the difficulties of operating COVID is the furloughs going on at the NCAA. So if you're trying to figure out answers to the what you think is the right time with the wrong person who might be out furloughed, it, it can get a little uh, tougher than the normal situation. So waiting on the basics of it is we're waiting on a waiver that gives the, the returning seniors a chance to get drafted without having to give up their eligibility. So we'll see where it goes. And the, but the draft is coming up on, uh, I think I saw the 13th of January or 12th of January, is that right? Yeah, right around then. Yeah. So it, it's a timely one that we, we don't have answers to yet. So it's gonna, but, and that affects a decent number of kids. But so Brian, the way I understand it, cause I went through this with Rafa years ago is if they go in the draft, if they put their names in the draft then their eligibility is over. Um, so it, even the players that don't get drafted still can't come back at this point, but doesn't basketball have a rule like that where you can enter the draft, but then if you don't get drafted, you can come back. Basketball's rule is there's a date you have to opt out of the draft. Oh, so okay. You can enter in the draft and then opt out at a certain time. So this you is can't all sign with the age agent or any of that stuff, right? No. Okay. So, yeah. But I did read I did read today, Matt, that that they are letting these players enter the draft. And then I believe it's like January 22nd. They have to decide if they're going to play spring soccer, which at the moment, if they do. um, Then they'd become ineligible um, or go ahead and, and become a pro. And the waiver would be to allow them to be drafted and play the spring. So right now you can go into the. Draft. I see. I see. What's so your guys' guess? What happens? You got a c- combined 60, 70 years of, of college coaching in here. What is your guess on which way the NCAA is going to go on that waiver? I think they get it. I, I think they allow it. I mean, it seems like the way the NCAA is now, if you asked me this five years ago, I'd say no chance. But the way they're allowing things to happen because of COVID and everything else, I think they allow it too. What's your thing, Brian? I, I'm right along. Uh, I'm aligned with you there. It's a whole new world with the NCAA right now. I feel like mm-hmm. it's so student athlete friendly based around COVID that the chances are very good. The waiver gets approved. We just need someone to read it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously there's uh, you know, the COVID situation is getting worse, um, you know, with it spiking all over the country and, Uh, We're seeing a lot of cancellations um, in other sports, right? Football and basketball and others that are having to to cancel games and uh, tournaments and and things like that are all getting canceled. Um, I'm wondering if you have any opinion on, you know, sort of what you think, how how you think all of this stuff will affect us come January and February. Well, in short, I think it's like a lot of things in life. You need to follow the the money. And the NCAA without an NCAA basketball tournament is a real threat to cease to exist as an entity. Certainly, it'll be incredibly streamlined. Um, and they'll lose a lot of jobs and a lot of personnel and um, a lot of their effectiveness if we don't get a basketball tournament in this year. So... I think along the way, you know, very similar to the fall where some of the schools were playing soccer to help football move forward because it's super important to some schools 
to have the financial benefit of the TV packages playing football. I think that we're going to see the same thing through the spring. We're going to take the cancellations as they come in um, as collateral damage. And lucky for us that soccer was assigned. Well, you know, depends on your viewpoint. Lucky for us this delayed season. So I think we'll start and I think we'll see cancellations just like basketball and, and fingers crossed that the vaccine works and we'll try and do the best things we can and, and we'll go along with, with NCAA basketball. Yeah, what I think we're going to have to um, sort of accept the fact that games are going to be canceled. Um, but my, my guess is there still will be games, but you're going to have, you know, and, 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 you know, there's a many, a lot of people who are playing maybe just conference only. So maybe 10 games or something like that. And those, those leagues, you may play, you know, six or seven games. When I think uh, from a soccer standpoint, we're going to keep seeing conferences shrink. We got a call this morning, a school that was planning on playing non-conference games just pulled the plug and they're going conference only. I think as, as the numbers stay the same and people look at budgets as we get closer to the season, I think we're going to see even more and more leagues go conference only. Well, I think we've shown though in the, in the fall that it can be done. Number one, Number two, I think you have to think about the different sports. Like Chris is asking, I think, with the different sports. Like basketball, five players, one guy gets it, or 15 players on the team, one guy gets it, they're in big trouble. They're all on top of each other, the way that they play and train and all of that kind of stuff. Soccer is different. Football, you know, they can get two or three people and still be able to play because they have 100 people on the team. Soccer, you know, you could have one case or knock out a couple of players and still be able to play. Um, so we showed, we, you know, again, in the SEC, we missed one game and probably would have got that game in had the season been a little bit longer. One game out of 14 teams playing nine, uh, eight games. So um, I, I do think it's possible. I, I think we do have to look at it, though, in my opinion, just like when you lose games for weather. Like uh, this has been the example I've heard. And it's so spot on. Right. So the Florida schools may miss a game or two because of weather. That doesn't affect the teams in Michigan. And, and wherever we're else. And I think it's the same thing you look at it in COVID. If it knocks out a game here or there, that doesn't affect everybody else. So I think they're going to play. Uh, I think we're going to play. And, and I agree, Chris, we're going to miss some games. There's going to be games that get canceled and postponed and everything else. But overall, I think it's going to happen. Well, it, you know, it just adds to the frustration when in a normal season, you get a game lightning out in Florida, you've missed one of 20 games. Right, right now in this spring, you you're going to lose 10 percent of your season if you miss a game. So it's just something we got to accept and, yeah. and make the most of it. Uh, one of the things that um, that uh, popped up this this week was uh, the Knight Commission coming out with a uh, sort of a statement and a, a recommendation that uh, included basically separating football out from the rest of the sports, pulling them out of the NCAA um, and kind of going in, in their own way. Do you, you know, did you see that Brian and, and what do you think, or how do you think that affects or would affect us? I think it's super interesting to see the long-term effects on us. You know, I think that the Knight commission, while they have no power, they are made up of people who are very involved with college athletics at, at high levels. So their, their plan of action to me is a little uh, look into the future. And it's just, is that future in six months, two years, or is it in five years? And 
if you'd asked me pre-COVID, I'd say it was in five years, but it was coming. But now with the financial realities of that COVID brings to all of our athletic departments, I think it's something that's going to be expedited and fast-tracked. And the question is, does it end, is the end game on it where the non-rev sports are brought along and a little bit separate from the NCAA? Because the way they recommended it with just taking basically the Power Five or FBS football and, uh, and separating them and allowing the NCAA basketball tournament to stay intact and allow the NCAA to govern all the other sports, it's kind of the best of both worlds. They're trying to, you know, everyone makes money off basketball and the sports that are really making money off football can now really cleanly make the money off it and, and self-govern just for football. But, you know, the other option is soccer goes with them and all the non-revs go with them and you have two separate leagues. Right. I got one more thing for you, Brian. Did you happen to catch the 60-minute um, segment yesterday on uh, on college sports? I did not, no. So they did a, you know, a 20-minute segment on the elimination of, of programs. Um, yep. And it was very uh, interesting, and, and I felt like it was us having a conversation uh, because basically the gist of it was uh, many of these um, – large football schools are using COVID as cover or an excuse to cut programs so they can spend more money on football, basically. Um, and there was a, uh, an interview with uh, an athlete from Minnesota, a gymnast, um, and, uh, and the coach of the men's gymnastic program at, at Minnesota. Um, and, and, and you got to hear a little bit like from the athletes about, you know, what happens when the rug gets pulled out and all of a sudden, like you can't compete at your sport. And this is a guy who they uh, thought had a pretty good chance at making, making the Olympic team. Um, so he got to hear his perspective. And then the coach who was very candid, you know, was very, very upfront and, and basically said, they, you know, I got a call 15 minutes later, we were on a, on a zoom call. They said, your program's done. And that's the last I've heard of it. And, you know, my job's done and the team's done. And, uh, and I think it's all, you know, trying to save money for, for football. So it was, it was quite interesting. Well, I think it's being shown time and time again that the area they're not going to cut is the area they see as potential revenue generating. You know, so every, every school has got their own decision to make on that. How much money do we make in football? And the extra coaches and the extra bells and whistles – you know, how, how does that factor into how much, how good our recruiting could be in and how much money we can make? You know, when Clemson dropped, what did they drop? Men's track and field yes. and a couple other sports that, yep. you know, the, the transposition with the idea that they just built that fireman's pole and bowling alley and barbershop in the football ops so that, you know, to help recruiting that's a tough pill, yeah. uh, but those are the financial realities. So to me, I mean, I think we're headed toward every school being very close to 16, if not at 16 sports and, and everyone in the next couple of years, everybody dropping out. Cause we're just also starting to see the financial realities, you know, the budgets affected by COVID those bills are coming due next year, not this year. We already have our budgets. Um, so it, I think there's more to come. So your, your feeling is, is this is going to get worse. 
I think it's going to get worse. I mean, I think we are lucky in women's soccer. We're a cheap sport with high numbers. You need a field, you need a goal, you need some uniforms. You need at least one coach. Back in the day, there was one coach. Now, um, so I think we're fairly insulated, big picture. Um, but it, if I was anywhere I was coaching, I'd be counting the number of sports on campus and For sure. seeing, and I think we, seeing where I am. We, we, uh, we had talked earlier um, that, you know, we were concerned for men's soccer more than, than for women's soccer. We've, we've, seen, we've seen some teams eliminated, um, a few, um, but, but as you said, maybe there's more coming. But, you know, what, what I think we're seeing with the sports that's interesting to me is a cost per student athlete that's also pushing which sports get, get dropped. Yeah, I'm familiar with tennis because both of my kids playing it and being in high school. And we're seeing a ton of men's tennis get dropped and, and some women's tennis. But that's an ex- extremely expensive sport per kid. There's a ton of internationals, which adds some expenses. There's fall and spring travel. Um, there's two co- two paid coaches for eight players on the women's side. Um, so that, that price per athlete is pretty high. And all of this, you know, to me, the other side of it is all of this uh, nutrition centers and uh, all of the extra things all the student athletes have been getting seems great while it's going on. And our kids certainly benefit from it. But it is also a big dose escalating cost per kid or why they're having to eliminate sports right now as well. For sure. Well, it's a it's an interesting uh, an interesting situation that I agree is is probably going to get worse, and it's something for us to continue to keep an eye on. So that's what I got, Matt. You know what I heard at the beginning of that, Brian? Chris that? compared us to uh, sixty Minutes, the one of the most popular, powerful news <laughs> organizations in all the world for years and years. Uh, he, you know, I mean, I I do believe we are a fantastic podcast, but Chris, I'm not sure if we're quite to the level of 60 minutes yet, but we're getting close. We're, you we're remind close. me of Morley Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking which one of us was Morley right now. I'm going to go with Matt. I like it. Uh, Morley is a good guy. Very positive. <laughs> anyway, okay, Brian, uh, safe travels, certainly. Yep. Um, thanks for coming on and getting some minutes with us. It's always wonderful to hear your voice. Uh, anyway. Right. I can't wait to hear Alan's voice. Yeah, yeah, we're excited about bringing on Alan next. So safe travels. We'll catch you next week, Brian. All right, Brian, see you. All right, Chris, I've been looking forward to this one. Uh, Get to bring in our good friend from uh, Florida soccer. He is the associate head coach for the Florida Gators, Alan Kirkup. Um, Alan, welcome to uh, College Soccer Nation. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Chris. It's uh, lovely to be with you. Yeah, so what we like to do, Alan, with with all of our guests is we like to kind of start off with – you just kind of walking us through, take a couple minutes, just walk us through your career path. And obviously it's been a very highly decorated one uh, as, a, as a player and, and certainly now as a coach. But if you could walk us through kind of how it's gone and how you've gotten to this point uh, down there in Gainesville. Well, how, how long have we got? Um, <laughs> there's, an awful lot of, there's an awful lot of years amongst this group, and uh, yes. <laughs> I'm probably the oldest one. So, again, it's how long you've got. I mean, obviously I had a, a playing career back in England. Um, I was lucky enough to be picked up as a 15-year-old by Manchester United. And although I never had a first-team appearance, you know, I was there for five years total, um, in and out of the reserves, and eventually got let go when I was 20. 
um, that wasn't the greatest thing in the world. You know, the, I could have played perhaps for some lower league teams, decided not to, and eventually ended up at university. Um, got my degree uh, at Loughborough in England and really didn't know what I wanted to do after that. And unbelievably, Shella Simon, who was at Eastern Illinois at the time, needed a graduate assistant coach for his men's team. And my roommate applied for it and got it. And at the last minute, decided he didn't want to come to America. And um, the guy who was liaisoning with Shellis, uh, who was our coach at Loughborough, asked me. And this was in the end of our, our term, which is sort of June in England, uh, our semester. And in July, I'm on a flight to the US. First time I've ever been to the US. Um, ended up at Eastern Illinois, which is in Charleston, Illinois, um, in the middle of basically cornfields. And, uh, but Shellis had put together an unbelievable team. So my year as a grad assistant there, we got to the final four. Um, got beat by Connecticut in a semifinal. Um, I got my degree, and when you get your degree, your visa ends. So you, I had to go back to the UK after that year. Um, and while I was in the UK, Shellis got the job at SMU. And I, he called me um, and said, would you like to come and be my assistant in Dallas? And uh, I said, yes, I'd love to. Um, and then after three years as his assistant, three, I think it was three years, they Title IX kicked in. We had to put together a women's program. And uh, Chris, you were like this. Uh, the AD calls me into the office and says, um, would you like to coach the women's team? And I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, I'll give you five grand. I went, okay. <laughs> so my first salary as a women's coach was five grand. And, uh, I think, you know, times change. Our total budget was like 20 grand for the entire, for the entire program. As you both well know, um, Dallas is a great area for, for girls soccer. Um, we were able to recruit really well and uh, eventually got to a final four in 95. Chris, you were there too. Um, you played North Carolina in the semifinal. We played Portland when Clive Charles was coaching them. Um, we got thumped pretty well, 4-2. Uh, when I came back, um, April had just left. April Heinrichs had just left Maryland. And uh, Maryland approached me. Would I fancy that? And I went for the interview and came back with no real intention of leaving SMU. And um, they'd offered me a, a little bit more money. I went into the AD and, and said, this is what they've offered. He went, well, see you later then. Um, never came back to me with a, a counter offer. So that was my career at SMU over, <laughs> which was a bit sad to be fair. But, um, you know, I had three good years at, at Maryland. I thought we had great teams there. Uh, Arkansas came after that um, not such a good time uh, I had five years there none of them a winning season and um, got fired in whenever it was 19 or 2000 and whatever and tucked my tail between my legs and went back to England and um, I was really didn't want to coach anymore thought the old spark had gone um and I did a couple of really, like I worked in a warehouse for a couple of months while I was back in England. I taught at a, a, a really poor, con well, not a poor comprehensive school, a comprehensive school in England. 
which wasn't the uh, the best pupils in the land, let's put it like that. Um, and out of the blue, again, I got a chance to work. Uh, I got a job in Southampton at a sixth form college, which is the same as uh, junior colleges over here. And the guy who ran that course was an academy coach at Southampton Football Club. And um, through him, I got involved with Southampton in their boys' academy. And I was the under-12s assistant coach. Uh, Mark Chamberlain, who was a a famous professional player uh, for Stoke and England, and um, I forget who else he was with now. He's going to kill me for not knowing. But he was the head coach. So, uh, I mean, the year and a bit I spent there, I learned so much about soccer, football, um, that, you know, as a coach who'd been sort of been there, done that to a certain extent, you know, there was so much more that I really didn't know, to be honest. And um, I loved my time there. I absolutely loved it. You know, being around that environment uh, with a professional club was brilliant. Um, quick story, my first ever game as the assistant, we go to Arsenal to play their under-12s. First year is uh, under-12s, first year when you play 11 v 11. Um, so we've been training the team to try and get ready to play. So Arsenal come out, we're playing them away at their uh, training ground. They beat us 7-0. And seriously, it could have been 20. Uh, they were that good. Um, we get to play, you play the academies home and away. And uh, we played them eventually at home and we drew 1-1. So wow. we, made a little bit, we made a little bit of progress <laughs> over the course of a few yeah. months. But I love my time there. It was fantastic. Out of the blue again, uh, you know, serendipity is a wonderful thing. Becky calls me. Um, Daniel Fotopoulos, Daniel Garrett, who played for, for us at SMU and then transferred to um, Florida, had left to try and continue her time with the national team. Uh, she was coming off an ACL injury and uh, wanted to try again to get back with the national team. So there was a spot open. And uh, honestly, the, when Becky called me, you know, this is before text and email, um, she said, you know, there's a spot here. Do you fancy it? And I said, no. Um, I was really happy doing what I was doing, um, you know, again, in a great environment. So this is February in England. You know, February in England isn't like February in Florida. <laughs> um, you know, I just came off the golf course today in T-shirt and shorts. It's not like that at the moment in Florida, in um, in England. So she said, well, come over. F- I will fly you over, you know, for uh, three or four days. You can get a look at what we're trying to do. And I sort of jumped at the chance to spend three or four days in Florida <laughs> in February. And um, she convinced me to come. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure Florida was you know, doesn't quite, or at the time, played differently to the way my teams have played. Um, you know, very, very strong, powerful, direct. Abby Wambach, Danielle up front were ridiculous. You know, they win a national championship. Um, and I questioned Becky about, you know, I mean, this isn't really my gig, to be honest. And she said, no, we'd, we'd like to try and change a little bit. And uh, she convinced me to come. Uh, and here we are 13 years later. So uh, still not got to another final four, which is disappointing, but we've been close a couple of times and, um, you know, we'll see what happens down the road here. So in a nutshell, that's my story. It's pretty good. Um, you know, the, you've had, you've had good success certainly. And, and honestly, you'd, 
at SMU, you're a legend. You know, you you took the team to the Final Four. No one else has, you know. So, well, uh, we were, yeah, we were really fortunate. I mean, we had, um, you know, Danielle up front and a player called Courtney Linux, who's still in Dallas. Yeah. And between them, that, that year between them, I think they scored something ridiculous, like 60 goals. Yeah, they were great. They were unbelievable. Yeah, no, they were great. Those were, those were great teams. And, um, you know, um, we've come, we haven't played each other too often, but I do remember, um, I don't even know if you'll remember this, but we played in, in the, uh, I think it was the quarterfinals. Um, in the snow. In the snow, yeah, at, at Notre Dame, oh, yeah. uh, Maryland, we had to move the game right because yeah. the field was to the D three school. Yes, <laughs> it's, uh, Alan, it's the coldest game I ever played. That, uh, that game was the coldest game I ever played. That's and my in fact. Uh, we we had two really good goalkeepers in the team that year, General and and Lakeisha Bean, and uh, basically I would play Jen first, and if we ever got ahead three nil, <laughs> I would bring Lakeisha on. And we scored two, two, and Ronola tells this story hill of time. We scored two very early, and yeah. it is cold. I mean, it, is, it, it was like very zero, cold. below zero kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And she says, you know, I'm in the goal, and it's 2-0, and I keep saying, I keep thinking one more goal, and I get to go put my jacket on, and I get go get warm and all that. And we never scored another one. <laughs> so she froze the well, rest of the time. So I don't know if you remember, you remember I'm sure you do remember this, but um, – you had on the sideline, they had these heaters that were um, like burners on the yeah, sideline yeah. to try and keep people warm. So Lynn Girosi is my assistant coach and she played for me at SMU. So she's sitting on the bench and she goes, my feet are freezing. I said, well, go down there and warm them, warm them up with the heater. So she goes over and sets her shoes on fire. <laughs> so the players are throwing snow on her shoes to try and put the fire out for goodness sake yeah, yeah that, that was a cold one for sure yeah that was an awful experience you know <laughs> you know win or lose it was an awful experience I and mean, it was so cold it was really cold yeah and That's then you cool. know i think we played um uh, I think I was at Texas and you were at Arkansas. If I if I remember this right, we might have yeah, you beat us in overtime. Yeah, is that yeah, right? You beat us in overtime. Yeah, is that what it was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it was the, like, the first game in the new stadium or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, right at the start of the season, and um, if again my memory struggles at the minute, but if I remember right, we had a chance to win it in overtime, and our kid in the six yard box just. Uh, screams it over the bar rather than just tapping it in. She's mm. like laid into it, and then you've gone down the other end and scored. <laughs> so, uh, story of my life at Arkansas, actually. <laughs> I gotta tell you, it's, it's nice of us to have you come on and Chris talk about all the times that he beat you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice There's of a couple of those. Anson's another one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt, what, what you got for him, Matt? Yeah. So, uh, t- two things. First of all, how. I mean, you mentioned how great it was, but how how good were those twelve year olds at Southampton? I, I bet they were just great to play with 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 that age and and you know the level. What what was that like? It was um, a brilliant experience. I mean, to be first of all, be in that environment is fantastic. You know, the the things you when you watch the academy coaches training these kids, you know, it's, it's just some of the stuff I do today is from what they showed us basically. But the talent in that group, um, I think three of them went on to sign 
professional contracts from that group out of about 15. But it's it's so cutthroat, Matt. Um, every year the player gets evaluated by the academy coaches and every year the turnover, um, it's not mind-boggling, but it is amazing that kids get let go at 12 and they think their career's over. Um, wow. Yeah. But yeah, you know, some of them obviously stick stick with it. I mean, the academy there, the youth team while I was there, which was the under-18s, was Gareth Bale, Theo Walcott, Adam Lalana, uh, Nathan Dyer, who wow. played wow. at Swansea. All those players were on that team. You know, Gareth was a left-back. Um, Adam Lalana was one of the best midfield players I've ever seen. And uh, just watching them play was, again, eye-opening. Um they played 4-2-3-1, first time I'd really ever seen that formation put into practice. And they had two fullbacks, Gareth being one of them, who basically played as wingers the entire time. Mm. Um, fantastic to watch. And um, again, being around being around good players is, is always fantastic. It's the same in college. I mean, if you've got good players that you're working with, then it makes it much more fun. Um, sure. But yeah, they were good. They were good players, no doubt. And and so, you know, I'm obviously uh, I think you know a huge Manchester United fan. So talk to us just a little bit about that experience being there with those guys and and what what man you was back then when you when you were kind of a part of it. <laughs> it's a bit like getting beat by Chris. Um, my first year, <laughs> my first year there as a as a real pro. I was there for two years as a schoolboy. But uh, when I finally signed my first pro contract was 72 when we got relegated. Um, oh. um, we were in the stands, Dennis Law, it was us against Manchester City, last game of the season. And Dennis Law scored a back heel to beat us in like the 80th minute. And the crowd ran on the pitch and the game had to be abandoned. Um, so we got relegated, but bounced back the next year. Tommy Doherty had a, I mean, we played four-two-four, two midfield players, and attack at all costs. And uh, perhaps that's my undoing at the moment: attack at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> but it was again a wonderful, a wonderful thing to be around. And um, I would never swap my time there for anything. You know, I mean, it's uh, once you've been around that sort of club. I mean, obviously they were European champions. You know, George Best was making his comeback while I was there. Wow. Um, you know, Bobby Charlton had just retired about a year before I got there. So it was still, you know, Paddy Crerand was a reserve team manager. Um, Matt Busby was always around as well. You know, Docky was wow. an incredible personality um, to be around. And, uh, you know, there were times there where the team was flying. And, you know, obviously when you're winning, that makes up for a lot of things. But uh, I had a great time. Would never swap it for anything. And, um, you know, getting let go was that was a pretty dark period for me. To be fair, you know, I mean, you spent six months in a darkened room trying to get over it, but you come out the other side, and uh, you know, here we are, many years later, chatting about you know, good times and bad times that we've all been through. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Hey, okay. I've seen uh, I've seen some stuff. I uh, read some stuff about uh, you and and your program at Florida and your use of analytics. Um, and it seems like it's something you've adopted and, and you're, you're, uh, you're using a good deal. Um, certainly a lot more than you were using at Manchester United at that time, I bet. Well, um, I mean, I, 
But how are you using those things? Like, uh, to give us a little idea about about what you're doing with analytics. Well, it's progressed even since I've been here. Really, um, you know, we use Prozone still, and uh, Prozone have been very good to us. I know, you know, Instat, we've got a little bit going on with them too. But um, Prozone at the end of the year, to sort of you know, again in a nutshell, we'll do a little uh, a rundown of each game, and they produce these listed statistics in in terms of you know ball possession, uh, time of possession completed passes, incomplete passes. And basically what what they determined was that if we could hit two benchmarks, which is 500 pass attempts a game at 80% pass completion, we would win 90% of our games. And over the course of the years, that's been found to be pretty true. And uh, our whole system sort of revolves around those two benchmarks. Um if we don't hit those, it goes down to about 70%, which is still, you know, decent, but it's obviously not 90%. And um, it, there are other things in there too. You know, obviously all the players get their individual statistics. You know, uh, we can compare midfield players to midfield players, forwards to forwards, defenders to defenders. And um, all those th- things come into play when we're trying to put sessions together or we're trying to pick teams or whatever. Um you know, this year has been tough, you know, for a variety of reasons. You know, we had the whole quarantine thing killed us right before our season began. And uh, I'm not sure we ever recovered after that. But, you know, we're not where we should be at the moment. Um, you know, our last game against Missouri was, and credit to Missouri, they completely took us out of everything we were trying to do. Um, but we never were able to get close. I think that's the lowest ever pass attempts that I've that we've had since I've been at Florida and sure enough, we got beat. Um, so, you know, hopefully we can bounce back a little bit in the spring, but you know, the use of analytics, you know, the pendulum swings, doesn't it? And um, you know, XG is the thing now, you know, Chris Cafaro, who's our video guy, you know, has uh, put together all these things for us, which again is fantastic, but I think perhaps we can get buried in the weeds sometimes with stats and uh, forget that, you know, it's human beings, players who are out there actually doing it. It's not a statistical machine. Um, but definitely we use it. I mean, there's no doubt. And I think that it adds to what you can do in terms of development of players. No doubt about that. I wish we'd have had it when, when I played. Sure. I think it made a huge yeah. difference to my career. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we didn't even film games back then. You know, yeah. you just listen yeah. to the coach yell at you after the game, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so let's roll right in from that. It's a good lead way into Allen. Um, you know, again, I think there's no secret here that the two Floridas and the two schools in Florida do the best job um, of, of keeping the ball in possession with, with you guys. And, and obviously the guys over at Florida state, but what, um, you know, talk to me a little bit just about developing that style. And obviously what you're saying with the analytics is spot on how you play. You guys pass the ball as well as anybody in the country. So why, I guess, how did you, (laughs) (laughs) but how did you develop that? I guess is just the trend Like you, you tell me how how do you develop that? And I know it's not an easy, easy, quick question. And, but it kind of, you know, I think that, I mean, there's two parts to it really. 
whatever you do in training has to mimic what you're trying to do when you play. So, you know, repetition uh, is really important for us. And, you know, you try and repeat the same sort of exercises and you disguise them so it's not exactly the same thing all the time, but you disguise them to where the players are, are doing the same stuff time after time after time. Um, you know, I think, <coughs> I mean, I, I don't know how political you want to get, but, you know, we go and watch, obviously we used to go and watch a lot of youth team games where there's no possession. It's just a game of, of turnovers. You know, it's mm-hmm. transition after transition. There's no 20 pass sequences, you know, and uh, in order to get that, you've got to repeat things over and over and over. And uh, obviously you've got to find players who feel comfortable doing that. Um, but for us, I guess the easiest way to say it is that we, we repeat things over and over. Now, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard, Vic went to, um, Vic Campbell's our other associate head coach. He went to a Tovo Institute for a week in Barcelona. Um, it's um, Todd Bean is the guy that runs that. Yeah, um, yeah. He's well known over here. He's infamous to some people, famous to other people. <laughs> Married to Johan Cruyff's daughter, um, and he that principle is basically you know rondo based, uh, pass, 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 pass. Um, we've had some discussions over the the last couple of years about you know we use it to a certain extent. Um, I'm not sure. And Vic's going to kill me for this. But <laughs> I'm not sure it's great in the development of 18-year-olds. Makes sense. I think it. I think it's fantastic for the development of 10, 12, 14-year-olds. Totally agree. And um, what we've found is that the good players get it immediately. The players who are a step behind that find it really difficult to pick up on those concepts quickly. Uh, and so we've taken a little bit of a step back um, to try and bring those players on in, in different ways, perhaps go back to where we were, you know, six, eight years ago. Um, I wish uh, Todd's influence, if you like, would siphon down to the younger age groups because, you know, I mean, you guys both know the the technical ability of some of our players leaves a lot to be desired and, uh, that gets you learn that when you're 10, 12 years old. You don't learn sure. it when you're 18. You know, those yep. habits are too difficult to get rid of. So, you know, I know I'm probably treading on a bunch of people's toes here, but, um, you know, such. <laughs> no, it's really good. Allowed, That's why we had you on. We knew you would. Hey, I'm old <laughs> enough. I'm grumpy and old enough that I can at least add my opinion. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the technical side of it is still something that we, on a daily basis, try and develop. And, um, you know, that, again, mimics what we try and do during games. I'm not sure we did a good job with that this fall for a variety of reasons, but, you know, hopefully we'll be back there in the spring. And what about in that uh, sort of playing philosophy? I know you have some uh, maybe pretty strong thoughts also on how the goalkeeper uh, fits into that philosophy. (laughs) There's no doubt. I mean, obviously those times have changed too, but... um, we need a goalkeeper that can play with their feet. And, uh, 
you know, if you can't, if you can build out the back, then the goalkeeper becomes a field player, basically. And um, if they can deal with that, then it really adds to what you can do. If they can't, it's a problem. Um, and, you know, we have two goalkeepers who are quite proficient with their feet, but uh, for, again, a variety of reasons, we didn't do it to the extent where we would have liked to this year. I think, you know, there were, there were other things coming into play there, but the goalkeeper is crucial absolutely crucial to what we try and do and um, it puts an extra burden on them to be fair because they've also got to keep the ball out the net um, but yeah they're the beginning of our attack always and uh, we will always try and start with a goalkeeper if we can good so and, and Alan we're, we're uh, not too many more questions because then we're, <laughs> we're using the night times but you've been fantastic and we really appreciate it um Listen, I think I respect, uh, you know, you, you, Becky and Vic at the, the highest level. And I think you've been the, the standard bearer for our, our league for a long, long time. And, and, and sure you will continue, but how talk to us. And I know Becky has been pretty outspoken about this too, but how is it structured in your staff? Um, kind of the role. So, you know, Becky's role, your role and, and, uh, and Vic's role kind of when it comes to the team and, and training. Uh, I mean, I'm really fortunate because she lets me do what I want to do. Um, you know, I mean, I've, obviously I've been a head coach. I've, you know, it's not something I particularly want to do again, <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite enjoy my role at the minute. You know, my, my role basically is to get the team prepared to play. And, um, you know, Becky's job, I always tell her she's like an Alex Ferguson. She oversees everything. Mm-hmm. And then she lets the coaching staff do the coaching. Uh, with you know obviously she has a say in what we're trying to do and we need to do this today or this we need to get done this week Um, she's responsible for that and then Vic puts in his two cents worth as well you know I think the whole Tovo thing was Vic inspired Um, I still think it has its purpose for sure Mm -hmm. I just think we need to tweak it a little bit but you know my job basically is to to put together the training sessions and run them as best I can um, I'm not sure I'd be able to do that at many staffs around the country as an assistant coach. Um, so I'm in a very, very, you know, I'm enviable position, I think, and always very humble to be able to be in a place where I can continue to do that. Yeah, and smart by Becky. I mean, that, you know, that's, yeah. that's your strength, right? I mean, that's what you're really good at. And, you know, she, I think she recognized it, you know, look, this guy can really help us in, in, in this area. And, and certainly it has. I mean, the success has been, you know, fantastic over over a number of years. Thanks. Um, but this year was a struggle, obviously. Well, and No doubt. And uh, I wanted to ask you some about this year. Just sort of take us through. I, I know, you know, Deanne Rose, to me, is, is the best player in your league. And she didn't play much. And obviously you mentioned earlier you had some COVID issues. But sort of take us through the season. And even like – you know, you played a six-five game, which not many people have played six-five games. So, you know, like, give us a little little recap of the season. A recap of the season. Well, um, you know, obviously we started very early in August, and um, well, our preseason season was what four weeks, I think. It seemed yeah. four weeks, which we thought was going to be brilliant for us because you know we can spend a lot of time on trying to bed in what we're trying to do. So. Um, again, the cut long story is really short. We have a lightning protocol because of COVID where we have to send the team off in different directions and blah, blah, blah. So sure enough, it's Florida, 
three o'clock in the afternoon, the thunderstorms come in. We have to get off the field. Half the team's over here in a, a, the lacrosse away locker room. Half the team's over here in our portable. The staff are somewhere else. So we have three days of that in a row, two weeks in the preseason. And um, one of our kids tests positive. So the tracers come in and go, okay, where was she? Well, she was over here in the lacrosse locker room. They go in and say, well, this is too small. That means that these everyone in there is going to be in quarantine. So we're like, wait a second, you told us to do this. And they said, well, sorry. <laughs> so we had 19 kids wow. out uh, for two weeks. So before I, I think we played Georgia our first game, um, we'd had one session with the whole team before we played that game, you know, after two weeks of them being in quarantine. So it wasn't the, the best start to the season and it went from where we thought we were flying in preseason to where it was back to square one. And um, so that was a tough start and it didn't get any better. You know, we, we decided to use a bunch of players because obviously players weren't fit and, um, you know, there was never much cohesion in the team. Um, you know, anybody that saw us play could probably have seen that. And then we got injuries, you know, Deanne did our hamstring, um, we had two or three other injuries that may have been prevented if it wasn't for the, the quarantine thing. So each game, Chris, was, you know, we never played the same start in 11 once in the entire season, even though it was only ever 10 games. Um, and there were games that, you know, when you look back at the film, and we, we've all been in games, but, you know, uh, Vanderbilt this year had similar problems to us. They came to our place. We score first and then miss an absolute sitter to go 2 0 up with about 20 minutes to go. And they scored twice, beat us 2 1. And it just seemed as though we couldn't find a way to win, um, although we found some really interesting ways to get beat. <laughs> uh, South Carolina, um, probably our best performance of the year. Uh, they beat us 4 2, all four goals from corners. Mm. Uh, so we saw a lot of corners in our six-yard box, Matt. <laughs> and then uh, the six-five game was just bizarre. We'd played Kentucky the week before, and they beat us away three-one. Again, I thought we played terrific, but couldn't defend a set piece. Um, and that game was just—I mean, the ebbs and flows of that game were were amazing. I, th- I thought we actually played quite well. Um, but we gave up some, a couple of their goals were fantastic. Kid Richardson, I think it is, scored an absolute belter in the top corner um, for them to go up. I think it might have been 4-3, but yeah, I mean, we scored in the last minute to tie it and yeah. uh, great goal. You know, Deanne serves a great ball. Parker Roberts scores a great goal, header. And then we won it in the overtime. Again, Deanne made it for us, but you know, she Deanna had injury issues pretty much all season for us, and uh, her minutes were limited because of that. You know, which again, you know, she's a good player and uh, fully fit. She'd definitely help us. But yeah, strange all year. Um, found some interesting ways to get beat, but you know, I think everyone goes through that at some point, and uh, hopefully, we can bounce back in the spring. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Thanks. Yeah. I got, I got one last uh, one story to tell you, uh, Alan, before my last question. So this. This will bring you back. You were you're coaching at Arkansas. Um, I was at Auburn, and uh, Don Staley was at Alabama. 
Okay. So this is going way back, right? So we're at the SEC head coaches meeting uh, in Birmingham. (laughs) And I I had to go because Karen, I think, was off with the national team. So I had to represent Auburn. So we're sitting in in the meeting and Alan um, brings up, um, you know, at that point, the SEC was really struggling in the way we were playing, the styles we were playing. And and Alan says, you know, we really want to play – um, you know, this, this, you know, we want to be able to pass the ball and play, kind of play a, you know, really good, attractive style soccer, which Allen's teams did always I have. It? I said this in the man. Yeah, 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 yeah you, did. you did. You say this every day. Yeah. And, and, and he's like, you know, we're just not doing that. And Don Staley, and bless his heart, he's a great guy, right? But he, they were the most direct man marking all over the field when they defend and direct team you've ever seen. Yeah. And, and Don says, well, Allen, Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I said to myself, there's nothing beautiful about the way you play, Don. Where, where Alan, they play, it's, you know, everybody would love to play the way Alan, Alan's teams play, without question. Still, obviously still today. But, uh, yeah, Don said beauty. And I'm thinking, there's nothing beautiful, Don, about the way your team's playing. Oh, God. But anyway, uh, Alan, spend the last few minutes for us. Oh, God. Um, yeah, it was great. I'm, now, I'm embarrassed I said that, really. But. Oh, no, that's true. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, give us just a, a few – we always do this at the end. And, and tell us, um, you know, give us a little sales pitch or, or why um, why Florida is such a great school and, and how, how important it is kind of to you. Why Florida is such a great school. I mean, you know, it's the same as you'd say or any recruit, really. You know, I mean, uh, we want the soccer team to be, you know, compete for national championships. You know the facilities are good enough. The uh, the back end of the department is good enough. It's a great educational institution, um, and it's in Florida. And if you you want to be close to the beach and have fantastic weather, then you'd come here rather than Notre Dame, probably, Chris. Right? Um, <laughs> well, certainly at that time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's a wonderful place to work, and uh, I think it's a wonderful place to go to school. But you know, I feel a bit embarrassed giving it the sales pitch with uh, two. Yeah wonderful coaches at wonderful schools for goodness sake very different schools having said that but um but yeah you know there are many great schools across the country we're one of them hopefully um hopefully you know players still want to be a part of it absolutely so i have one more question sorry chris i forgot i forgot one what's your handicap right now uh, after today, probably in the, I don't know, high teens, but uh, eight at the moment. I've, nice. played, I've played a lot of golf lately. Yeah, good, good for you. you. Yeah, I'm for going you. out Wednesday. I'm going out Wednesday. Can't <laughs> good wait. for you. We good finally you. get some good. We're supposed to be in the 60s Wednesday, so I'm going to play Wednesday. <laughs> Oof, that would be, I'd need three layers on to play when it's 60. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, great, Alan. That's enjoyable. Absolutely enjoyed uh, enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah. And, and appreciate you. Yeah, it's been fun. Taking the time to talk to us. No, not a problem. Not a problem. Yeah, really insightful. And, and all the coaches that listen to this, I know are going to love listening to you as well as as all of the, our fans of our show. So anyway, thanks so much for coming out. It was fantastic. Really appreciate you, bud. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, happy holiday season. Have a great new year. Let's hope 2021 is a little better than 2020. Yeah. Amen. All right, Alan. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye. 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 Okay, Matt. Uh, what are we looking forward to in this next week? What do you got on your plate? Yeah, uh, you know, we we still, you know, doing some recruiting, those kind of things. But a couple of things, obviously, it's Christmas shopping time, Chris, right? I got to figure out Christmas shopping. I'm very fortunate that my wife 
shops for all of our kids, all of our parents, uh, anybody that she needs to shop for. And I just have to shop for her. So it's, uh, it's kind of nice. So wait, this is the, you know, the big week that you're going to do all your Christmas shopping. You got to buy one present. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much what's going on here. (laughs) You know what I'm doing though? You know what I'm doing? So it's Christmas shopping. The other thing I'm doing is I'm going to my barbecue guys shop. He has a grand opening and we're going up to, uh, to visit that, which should be fantastic. Yeah. That sounds great. Going to the ATM and getting cash for your wife doesn't count as shopping. It does not. It does not. Uh, she always likes, you know, personal stuff. And I, I, I never come through. I always bomb. I always yeah, bomb. it's I hard, though. It's hard. It is hard. Oh, somebody's got everything. Time, you know, like. Yeah, she's got everything. You know, what, yeah, what does she, she need? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are you looking forward to, Chris? Well, we're still putting our spring season together, you know, and mm-hmm. and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and maybe planning a little bit for that preseason period. And um, honestly, I'm, I'm looking forward to another weekend of uh, – of games like, you know, yeah. great games to watch coming up. And, um, you know, the, the weekends have become really, uh, focused on, you know, what's going on in the <laughs> Cow EPL. And, you Cow know, Chevy? <laughs> yeah. What's going on in the NFL and, and things like that. Nice. Nice. All right. Let's, uh, you ready for the power five? I like this one this week. Let's do it. I, I feel like we're going to be way different. I, I really, I, I worked hard on this one. I, I really feel like, these are five players that I feel very strongly about are great players. And again, I'll say this, Chris, I went on people that I see that I know not, you know, not the George bests of the world um, that I've never seen play or other can say, I went on players that I've seen that I can relate to, not relate to, but that I feel comfortable in, in supporting as the top five. So this top is five. your top five, my top five. Again, now, now Linda, Linda isn't part of this. You didn't ask Linda for her, no, her no, Linda. I didn't ask Linda. I didn't ask Mark. I didn't ask any of them. Um, you didn't, you didn't I, ask Rob. I didn't ask Rob. Okay. All right. Well, I, mean, I might talk to Rob. Then, I might talk to Rob about it, but I didn't ask him who he thought or yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. Anyway, the, all of the players that are on my list, I've seen play. Okay. Me too. I've seen play all. The, I've seen all of these players play. Okay. Good. Well, so you got really old ones, right? Uh, some older than others. <laughs> right, I'm going first today. I'm going to start off. Okay, go ahead. I'm excited about this first one. Okay. Okay, again, let's lay it out. First of all, men only. Yes. Men only because it's, again, a kind of tribute to Maradona. Yeah. It can't be Maradona, Pele, Messi, or Ronaldo. And that's because they would have been on both of our lists and there would have been yeah. uh, no real controversy or anything. No, exactly. We both yeah. think all four that's of those no guys fun. are yeah. yeah, wonderful players. So, yeah. all right. We're giving the people what they want. They want us That's to right. uh, they go deeper. All right. Number five for me. Yeah. You got to bend it like him, Chris. David Beckham. There is no way that David Beckham is one of the top five players all time. <laughs> what are you talking about? There is no way. I mean. What are you talking about? Manchester United. He's a great crosser of the ball. A great yes. crosser of the ball. Right? Yes. Um. And that's about it. But 130 caps for England. Yeah. Okay. Tons for England. Played played with them in the World Cup. Got red carded. Manchester. Got red carded. Yeah. And one of the games of 132 played yeah. for Manchester United during the heyday of when six EPL titles. Chris, six. He didn't then went win to Real Madrid and then went to Real Madrid. Won one there. All right. Let's go. What's your five? It's George great. Best. You didn't see George Best play. I did see George Best play. 
Manchester United guy, though. Like yes, Man- he was a Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. No, no I like George Best. Of course, like, I never saw him play, the best dribbler, the, one of the best dribblers ever. I mean, it's hard. Come on, you can't argue against George Best. I'm not. No, no, you no, can't no, even no, put no. George Best compared to David Beckham. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's five of these, Chris. All right, number four for me. It's gonna yeah. hit you hard. This one's gonna hit you hard. Yeah. Gigi Buffon. Oh, I, you know, I considered him some, I, I considered. Oh, him really? Some. Really? I, I did. I had to have a goalkeeper. I had to have well, a goalkeeper, obviously being a goalkeeper that I am goalkeeper coach for all those years, carried your Texas teams as a goalkeeper coach. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had to put on a goalkeeper, Gigi Buffon. I, I listen. I looked at Peter Schmeichel, thought about him closely, thought about Oliver Kahn uh, and Vandessar, a lot of, a lot of people, but I said on Gigi Buffon because of his longevity too, has been yes. so good. It's been yeah. so good for Italy. So yeah. Gigi Buffon for me. Yeah, maybe not in the top five, but yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, right. You ready? Yep. Ronaldinho. Yeah, he's fat. He got fat. No, not Ronaldo. Ronaldinho. I know who Ronaldinho Oh, Ronaldinho. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. 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 <laughs> I, I get those two confused a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's fine. I don't, don't love it. Don't love it. I don't think he's top five. Not even close. I didn't even consider him. Put it to you like yeah, that. because you didn't even know who he was. <laughs> yeah, and you and the dribblers. Everybody's got to be a dribbler. Oh, dribbler, greatest ever. All right, here you go. Ready for my number three? Yeah. Yeah. Javé Hernandez. Really? What are you talking about? Really? He made the best midfielders of all time. What? <laughs> what? Barcelona? Ever heard of him? Yes, I've heard of Barcelona. I'm like, he's a good he player. He's a good, good player, but come he, on. Uh, really, the way Barcelona played, he was the key. Messi's not messy without him. No chance. He's been messy without him for a long time. Yeah, because Messi set him up, got him rolling. <laughs> I mean, that way, the Tiki, guys Tiki talk, Tiki talk, I bet if we would ask Alan Kirk up, he would have liked him. I do like hey, him. Sesta. I do like him. It's just not top five, man. You yeah, no, way, I, way I love off. him. I loved watching him. I thought when Barcelona had him, they were rolling. They've struggled since. They haven't been the same since he was there. (laughs) They haven't been the same since he was gone. All right, you're number three. Zinedine Zidane. Mm -hmm. I have him. I have him. I have him, too. I have him as my number two. Okay, so you can't argue. No, no, I think he's great. Great choice. I'm with you. That was your number three. That was your number three. three. No, that was my number two. Okay. My number three was Zave. So now yeah. go ahead. Who's your number two? Franz Beckenbauer. Never saw him. I, obviously, I've seen clips of him stuff. But I didn't watch him play. But he's Why great. Not? He's old. Chris, he's freaking old, just like you. He he's played old. for the Cosmos in the late 70s. How old were you then? I was like nine. 78. I was eight. And 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 this wasn't, this wasn't, there was no qualifier that, you know, you had to see him play. There, there was not a qualifier that, you know, you had you had to see him play. Yeah, well, I know, but hold on. Listen, he's great. No, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and complain about him. But okay, I just, I, it's hard for me to complain because I don't Another know. Another good but, one. Another good one that I got. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's, yes, he's, he clearly, he's good, but it's kind of boring. You ready for my number one? Sure. Love this one. Don't without don't, question. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> you know don't know what do I'm it. Say. Roy Keane. Uh, no. <laughs> what? Roy Keane, Manchester United doesn't have the trouble without Roy Keane. Manchester Roy United Keane. is Roy one of the Keane greatest captains of all time. Too. 
a great yes. leader, a great, great leader. teammate. Great teammate, um, somebody, great midfielder, team, a captain, yes. all, all of right. There it is. Yeah, right. yeah. Preach it. Keep it coming. But there are 40, 50 players. <laughs> no, no. Better than Roy Keane. No, no. All those intangibles is all what I'm about. You ever read his book? His book is brilliant. That's why I, yeah, I read his book. His book was his great. That so mean good. He's better than all these other guys. In my book, hey, he's on my, it's my list. I got him there, number one. Okay, you're number one. Let's go. What do you got? Johan Cruyff. Oh, God. What do you mean, oh, God? The guy, the guy may be the best player ever. You're so you're so mainstream again. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this, Chris. I'll tell you this right now. My five versus your five in a pickup game, we'd kick your ass. Not even close. You guys would never touch the ball. You'd never touch the ball. No, you, well, you don't have a goalkeeper. We what wouldn't need one. About that? We wouldn't need one. <laughs> We get the ball. Roy Keane kicks somebody to get the ball. Oh, Guaranteed. All right, tell me, uh, what do you got? Give me uh, Matt's coach's cliche this week. Yeah, so we have to clarify this a little bit. Some people are confused about this. So these two are cliches that drive me crazy, that drive you crazy. We think cliches are crazy, although I do use a lot. Uh, so these aren't ones that are my own. These are ones that we it's kind of joking on, right? So here's mine today. Today's Matt's cliches. On paper, they're the team to beat. What does that mean, On Chris? paper. On paper, they're the team to beat. Yeah, that's, that's really dumb. Stupid. It's just stupid. It's, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's a like, cliche that needs yeah, to go away. No one cares about what happens on the paper. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Chris, this was a great show. I thought Brian was good. I thought Alan was is, is right there at the top of the guys we've had yeah, on. Everybody's he was been really great, good. but he was really indifferent. You know, different. Yeah. Got into how – and Florida is a, a great team, so um, really fun to, to talk about that. So – we're going to take this one out. Good? All good. Chris? All right. So, listen, please download us. Any of your uh, – any of your, you know, I always say download us, but if they're listening, they've already downloaded. It's not like this is live, right? So Unless they're but streaming, anyway, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell your friends, though. Please tell your friends. Um, listen to the – or download CyberGuy, C-Y-B-U-R. Uh, Darren Mott, our producer, DJM Productions. We appreciate all you do. Again, if you want to follow us, College Soccer Nation – dot com um give us likes so we can keep this going but we've enjoyed it thanks everyone for listening chris have a great week darren have a great week we'll see you next time see you next week if you have questions for coach petroselli or coach mott you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olmiss.edu College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.